0: Well, Good morning, everybody. How are we going? It's a little bit surreal being here today. Um, I feel like a stranger, but I'm also seeing lots and lots of faces that I don't know, which is, I think that's a good thing. It just means I've been away quite a while. And uh, in some ways, I probably owe you a bit of an explanation, I think. Um, For those of you that have been thinking, what on earth has happened to Carmen and Steve? Where have they been? It's the case of the missing Allens. Um... The short story is that Carmen's dad has been moved into an aged care facility at Tea Gardens, back in June, July that was, and since that time we've been um, we've been going to Tea Gardens Baptist Church with him each week. So that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future while he's around. So we don't know how long that is, um, but it'll be, it's nice to come back for a visit from time to time. I'm really pleased to be able to be here. Um, my uh, notes are playing up all of a sudden, so. Just bear with me half a sec while I get something happening here. Um, Christmas is a bit of a crazy time, isn't it? It was good to hear how well the carols went last week. And I know it gets very busy and for a lot of us, Christmas can be just that crazy time that we think, how on earth can it be? How am I going to get through this time? I just can't wait for it all to be over. And for others of us, it's really exciting. We love all the tinsel and lights and, and everything that goes with it, all the parties and so on. But no matter what your reaction to Christmas is, I bet it's not like one guy I heard about. Um, Carmen's got a friend whose husband has a birthday on Christmas Day every year. Of course it's every year, that's his birthday. And that means he has to share his birthday with everybody else and, and, you know, it gets overshadowed by parties for Christmas and and presents and Christmas, everything to do with Christmas. You know, his birthday gets sort of swallowed up in, in all of that. And this year he said, that is it. Right, that's I'm done. I am not sharing my birthday with Jesus anymore. So this year they've decided to have a big birthday party and they've invited a bunch of friends. Apparently they've got a lot of friends that are happy to would rather be there than with their own families on Christmas Day. But anyway, that's their deal. Um, and uh, they've got a special decorating theme going for it. Apparently flamingos are in this year. Is that true? Has anybody heard that, seen that? Yes, well... That's what this guy's going to get for his birthday. A flamingo t-shirt, hot pink board shorts, and they're going to have flamingo serviettes and flamingo paper plates, and it's going to be just a flamingo blast of a birthday party. Seems a bit desperate to me, but you know, desperate times take desperate measures, I guess. I tell you that story because um, it reminds me a little bit of King Herod in the story we're going to read today. Um, So I'm going to... I'm going to have one more go at opening my notes, and uh, if that doesn't work, I'm going to wing it. Yeah, that's right, that's, that's a more theological way to say it, speak from the heart. No, I'm going to wing it. Um, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 2. This is what happens when you rely on technology instead of paper. Matthew chapter 2, I'll see if I can actually get my Bible to open, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm reading verses 1 to 12, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, now this is one of those passages you kind of expect to have read around Christmas time, isn't it? Now I want to read it to you, but I'm going to ask you to take your Christmas glasses off while I read it, okay? This is, this is part of the Bible, just like Hebrews and James and the Psalms. It's part of the Bible that we can study and understand what God wants us to learn about Jesus and how we should respond to him. Um, so I'm going to read it, but first let me pray. Father God, thank you for technology. Thank you for um, beyond technology. Thank you for your sustaining power when technology fails us. And uh, Lord, I pray that this morning, as I, <clears throat> as I speak from your word, that uh, you will um, be present with us. We pray the same thing that we pray every other time we look at your word, that you will be actively present with us, helping us to understand it, um, and showing us a little bit more about what we need to know about Jesus, and, and help us to see ourselves differently, and help us to live differently in the light of what we see. Holy Spirit, would you be active amongst us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm starting from verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Not that word, king. That's important in the story. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "'Where is he who has been born king of the Jews?' And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So it's a very, very familiar story, isn't it? And I find that when I, whenever I hear that story, it's usually this time of year... Straight away, I've got all this traditional storytelling baggage in the back of my mind, shaping what I pick. You know, the pictures that I see in my head as I'm listening to the story, and so I've grown up because the ideas in floating around there that there were three wise men, and that they had crowns because that's what you see on the Christmas cards. They They were kings. And um, they rode their camels to the stable and they sort of tag-teamed with the shepherds as the shepherds were going. Um, they turned up and parked their camels outside, went in and gave these three gifts to a, a baby who was only hours old in a stable. Does anybody else sort of carry that imagery around with them? Or am I the only one? No, it's, it's pretty common. But see, none of those details are actually in the Bible at all. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know they had frankincense, myrrh and and gold, three gifts. We don't know how many there were. They weren't kings. Um, They didn't actually go to the stable. They went to a house. And we think it's about two years later by what Matthew tells us here. So all of that's to say, I want us to try and take, as I said before, take our Christmas glasses off as we're trying to unpack this a little bit. Forget Christmas pageants and and all the, the nativity scene plays that we do. Forget all of that and try and just approach this as the Bible like we would any other passage and see what God wants to teach us from it. Um, there's three main things that come out of this story to me. The whole story really is all about responding to Jesus. Jesus arrives and we there are people that respond in different ways, just like Carmen's friend's husband responded to Christmas a certain way he said I don't want to share my birthday with Jesus anymore same sort of thing Herod said Herod said I don't want to share my throne with anybody Um, there are three different ways that we can respond that I think come out of this passage we can reject Jesus outright we can respect him as a wise great teacher or we can reflect his authority in our lives his lordship in our lives and that's that's what i want to unpack for us this morning we can respect him uh, we can reject him we can respect him or we can reflect him so let's have a look at each of those now who do you think was the person that that rejected jesus in the story herod easy easy to pick and if we had read a few more verses on we would have read the, the horrible account of him ordering the massacre of the children in Beth, in and around bethlehem so his he had a very strong reaction against jesus um, and you might think that was that was a little bit of overkill. Um, that was really, you know, why did he react so strongly? And you might think that was strange, but not if you actually know a little bit about Herod. Herod, was, or as we know, the Herod the Great was how he's remembered to history. Herod was somebody that was super, super protective of his throne. He was paranoid about anybody threatening his rule, and there's a reason for that, because he was not, Fully Jewish. He didn't have, that, he didn't have the, the crown because of he, he was born into it. He didn't have hereditary rights to be the king. He was only half Jewish and half Idumean. He was a foreigner. And he was seen as a foreigner by the, people, by the Jewish people. He was seen as, as a, a foreigner who had usurped his way to the crown. Um, he sort of wrangled his way politically. He was a cl- clever politician. He wrangled his way to the top and ruled with an iron fist. Um, most of his reign is remembered for the great public works, the buildings that he made, that he built. He had, he had fortresses constructed and walls, the Wailing Wall that we hear about in Jerusalem, that was built by Herod, apparently. Um, he was very well known for that and th- that was what he wanted to do to make his name remembered. He wanted to be remembered as Herod the Great. It was all about his identity. Uh, so he um, he didn't he didn't spare any expense when it came to building these things and the money had to come from somewhere didn't it and so he raised the taxes taxes were very hard on the Jewish people under Herod and so Herod the foreign king who usurped his way to the throne and was taxing the people hard he was hated by his people he was despised and he was well aware of it he knew that he was despised He knew the people hated him and he knew that his throne was constantly under threat. So he was always on guard for anybody that would threaten. In fact, he was so paranoid about losing the right to rule that he actually had his wife and his two sons executed at one point because he thought they were conspiring against him. He was ruthless. And so it's not surprising that an angel came and warned Joseph to take Jesus away um, later in the chapter we're not talking about that today but it's not surprising God wanted to protect him and get him away because Herod was a real threat he was dangerous and of course he rejected Jesus altogether when he only had to hear a rumor of somebody had been born king not somebody that had wrangled their way to be king but somebody that was born king this was a son of David and uh, And the reason that Matthew begins his whole gospel with the genealogy, you know that boring chapter one that reads somebody somebody had begat so and so somebody begat so and so and they' go all the way through um, the reason Matthew does that is to establish the fact that Jesus was descended from king david he He was in line for the throne, and the Messiah, when he came, would have to be that he would have to be so. Matthew wants to build a case to say Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Chapter one does that. Now chapter two, um, Herod only has to hear the rumor of somebody being born king, and he reacts. He calls all the calls all the um, the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes and the and the chief priests in, and says, "Where where is the Messiah supposed to be born?" He knows that there's because expectations are so high at this time for the for the Messiah to come. The whole nation is looking for the Messiah. And so Herod knows that this could be something to do with that. So he wants to find out a little bit more about it. Where is, uh, where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, off you go. And then he calls in, secretly he calls in the wise men and asks them, uh, asks them to go and find Jesus and tell him where he is. Find the baby. Report back to me so that I can worship him. Now, of course, Herod didn't want to worship him at all. So he's responding to Jesus with... What's, he's responding firstly with secrecy, or cunning, and then deceit, and then finally he's going to respond with violence when, when the chapter goes on a little bit further. It's a very strong reaction against Jesus. Now, what's that got to do with us? I mean, it's an interesting bit of history, but why, why do we need to know that? Why is it even in the Bible? Because you and I can respond the same way. People today can respond the same way. Now, I don't mean we're going to create massacres and you know terrible acts of violence. But when Jesus comes along and makes a claim on your life and says, I'm the ruler. I need to be the boss. Um, you and I, we might want to cooperate to begin with, but eventually there'll be a little bit of pushback. Won't there? If you're honest, every one of us has a little part of our hearts that when Jesus says that thing needs to go, or you know, I want you to change that habit, or not behave in that certain way there'll be something inside us one particular thing he puts his finger on that we love so much that when he puts his finger on it we want to push back no you can be king of someone else but you no i don't want you to be king of that we can respond the same way now some people are violently opposed to just the mention of jesus name but the danger is for us as christians we can still be like that so everybody in this room has the potential to still reject jesus rule over their life even as followers of him on a day-to-day basis we can we can still grapple with his right to rule so the first challenge for us as Christians is are we going to be like Herod in that way or are we going to let him be the boss so rejecting Jesus is one way that we can respond to him arriving what's the second way the second way is that we can respect Jesus now that's what I think the wise men did the wise men came along and they respected him. The, the word that Matthew uses in that chapter for worship is, um, it doesn't mean necessarily religious worship, even though that's how the translators have used the word. And that, I think that's probably the impression Matthew wants to give. The word he's used there means to prostrate themselves on the ground. To, you know, the, in the Middle East, it's, it has always been quite common to bow very low before somebody that was a superior, face down to the ground that's what this word means so that the wise men came along and they worshipped but they actually bowed themselves down and showed submission to jesus they respected him they honored him they knew that he was somebody important and they honored him that's not the same as saying they recognized him as the son of god and matthew doesn't say they said that they just, it just says that they that he they honored him now why do i point that out well For one thing, it's pretty amazing to think that these guys are even in the story when you think about it. Um, The word that's translated wise men here is, you've probably heard this before, the magi, It's plural. It's a plural word, magi. And it's the word that we get magician from or magic. These guys were were known to be, um, they were uh, usually in royal circles. They were kind of a priestly group of people, but they got involved in Astrology and a little bit of magic, from time to time, they would often be involved in advising pagan kings. Um, so, and it, it seems likely that they came from Persia or Babylon or somewhere like that. And and um, to think that they they came all the way from east, somewhere in the east, they made a journey and came to see Jesus. It's actually quite astounding that they're even in the story. These are pagan guys who worship pagan deities, and why would they be interested in an Israelite king? They don't know anything about the prophecies of the Messiah. They wouldn't care about the Messiah coming because he's not their king. He was an Israelite king. Um, There's a few reasons why I think it's important that they're in the story. It's not just a natural fit for the story that Matthew's trying to tell. If it was going to be a more natural story, you would expect Matthew to say... um, a certain Levi, a Levite, came to see Jesus, or a, a group of priests came looking for the Messiah and they worshipped him. But to have a foreign magicians and astrologers come looking for the King of the Jews, and and for Matthew to announce the Messiah that way, that's quite amazing. It doesn't actually fit the the story. So, I think um, I think it's important, firstly, because there's a certain irony in it that that Jesus' birth is first welcomed first noticed and welcomed by at least in Matthew's story he's first welcomed by foreigners rather than the Jewish authorities the religious leaders and that's that sets up a little bit of um, uh, an opposition to Jesus that goes all the way through the book doesn't it like so the religious leaders that came to Herod are the same group might not be the same individuals but the same group that sent him to the cross eventually it was the it was the scribes it was the chief priests it was that group they they end up being the bad guys in Matthew's story um, and they, So he puts irony in here and says, well, they didn't even recognise him when he came. The foreigners recognised him before they did. That's, that's, he's sort of having a bit of a dig at them. Um, but I think it's also important too because it's something that will help us to have a reason to believe um, the reliability of the Scriptures, of the, of the New Testament documents. It's very easy for people to say oh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the New Testament documents. It's, you can't rely on any of that stuff because they were Christians and they were just trying to get across their own idea. They were biased in everything they said. Of course they're going to say that Jesus was the Son of God. Okay, that sounds fair enough. But if you think about a little bit harder about it, the, the fact that, that Matthew and the other writers were trying to convince people to believe Jesus was the Messiah is the very reason we should believe what he wrote. Because if Matthew was just making up some fiction, if Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, and Matthew was just trying to, part of a group of people who were trying to come up with a new religious system out of nothing, if the story's really fictional, and they wanted to make Jewish people, who Matthew was writing to, if he wants to make his Jewish audience believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the last people that he would have involved would be astrologers from Persia. He would not do it. So it tells me that this is not fiction. The only reason Matthew would have had to include these guys in this story to this readership is if it really happened that way. Just let that sink in a little bit. Because I know in 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 today's world it's very easy for our faith in the Gospels to come under attack. But there are actually good reasons, if you think hard, there are good reasons to rely on what the Bible says. Even if it sounds outrageous. It didn't get written for no reason. Um the third way that we can respond to Jesus is to reflect him. Um, the verse that um that tells me this from this passage is verse six. Let me try and find that again. This is the bit that um, Herod's got the chief priests and the and the scribes in. Where's the Christ going to be born? And they reply by quoting some of the Old Testament to him. And they say in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, I think that's, that's really important, what he says there. Matthew's actually combining a couple of different bits of Old Testament Scripture from two different places. There's a little bit there from Micah, and there's a little bit there from 2 Samuel. And he's combining them to sort of make a point. It's the same sort of way that, as a preacher, I might say to you, it's by faith you've been saved, and faith is the hope of things that we haven't seen, things hope, the confidence of things hoped for. See, I can string those things together to make a point. I'm actually taking a little bit from Ephesians and a little bit from Hebrews, and they fit together, and this is the sort of thing that Matthew's doing here to make his point. And the bit I want to highlight is the second little bit, the, the last line that says, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The ruler is a shepherd, the shepherd king. Now that's, that's a metaphor, it's an image that was very, very commonly used in the Old Testament. The prophets would talk about the coming Messiah being a shepherd. And the, all of the kings were meant to be shepherds to the people. They weren't just meant to be tyrants. A lot of them ended up being tyrants but the idea that God had in the first place right from the beginning when David was the king was for him to be a shepherd king not just because he began life as a shepherd but in order in order to care for the people because he began life as a shepherd he was chosen to shepherd the people that's what equipped him to be a good king and he was always held up wasn't he as as the greatest king they ever had King David and of course there's a greater one to come the messiah was always going to be a son of david he would be cut in the same cast in the same mould as king david he would be a shepherd king that was always the promise and so matthew's including that here that idea the shepherd king why what does it mean what does it mean to be a shepherd king all right well what do what do i mean what do you think of when i say a king talk about a king our ideas of being a king, when we think of it in Australia at least, our ideas get a little bit foggy and fuzzy, don't they? Because for us, the royal family, they end up being more celebrities than anything else for us. I mean, technically that's not true. The Queen has a, has a legal role to play in Australia. But for, mo- for the most part, we see the Queen as a figurehead in Australia. Um, not actually making decisions here in Australia or ruling actively ruling here in Australia. And so for us to talk about a king or a queen is a little bit hard for us to grasp what it would have been like for these readers to think about a king or a queen. But for Matthew's readers, and, and from through most of history, a king was somebody who had absolute authority. The king's word was law. And if the king said, off with your head, then somebody's head was going to come off pretty quickly. It was, it was very, very high level of authority. And uh, I think we miss a lot of that because we live in Australia, because we live in a, a, a monarchy, constitutional monarchy. Um, so the king is somebody that carries a lot of authority. What does a shepherd mean? A shepherd's one and only job. Look after the sheep. That's all you've got to do. Keep them alive. Keep them healthy. Keep them safe. So the shepherd is not somebody that wields the same kind of authority that a king does is it the shepherd does have some authority over the sheep but the shepherd doesn't live in a castle and be waited on hand and foot by servants the way our idea of a king might and i think any shepherd that tried to get one of the sheep to peel him a grape would be you know out of luck it wouldn't happen um, because he'd be too busy fighting off wolves and digging sheep out of ditches and things like that his job is all about taking care of the sheep and so the image of a shepherd king is somebody that has incredible authority and incredible care for the people. That's, that's a good combination right there. Somebody that's got incredible authority and power and somebody that has incredible care. And we miss that a lot of the time when we think about Jesus. Usually we will think of him as one or the other. But those two things go together. He's the Shepherd King, and uh, Matthew talks. Actually, I'm not going to look up all the verses because I've lost my notes. But Matthew has a number of places where he refers to Jesus, or Jesus refers to himself, in relation to being a shepherd, or in relation to sheep. Um, He tells the parable of the sheep and the goats, and you know, when the Son of Man comes, he will divide the sheep and the goats, and he, just as a shepherd divides, he will divide the people, just as the shepherd divides the sheep and the goats. And put one on the left and one on the right. You remember that parable? That's in Matthew. And there's a few other places where he he uses that kind of language to talk about himself. Um, And so Jesus, Matthew is identifying Jesus as the shepherd king all the way through. And he wants us to see the difference between the kind of king that Jesus will be and the kind of king that Herod was. There's a contrast he wants us to notice here. Um, John has something to say about Jesus being a shepherd as well. Um, all the references that Matthew had would have been very, very easy for his Jewish audience to understand because they were familiar with the Old Testament. They knew all the references to shepherd kings. But John was writing to Greeks, to foreigners like us. He, was, he could have been writing to Australians. And we might not have got the idea of all the shepherd um, terminology that Matthew was using, but for John he has Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now contrast that with Herod. Herod's a king that takes life in order to maintain control, isn't he? Earthly kings, kings that are just political they do everything they possibly can to hold on to power but Jesus is a king that lays down his life not take somebody else's he lays down his life for the sheep not for himself for the sheep the direct opposite of the kind of king that Herod was that's what we need to understand about this baby that was born in Bethlehem that the wise men came to see that Herod rejected this baby is somebody that is going to be a shepherd king that will lay his life down for his people. And he's, he's the kind of king that wields his authority in a different way than any other king. Herod wields his authority by force, by fear, doesn't he? He rules by fear. And so he says, go and kill all those babies. And everybody's terrified and they won't, they won't put up a finger to stand against him because nobody's game to do anything against King Herod. Herod the Great with all this power he rules by force and he rules by fear Jesus doesn't rule that way if you've got somebody who has absolute authority who lays down their life for the sheep or for the people you're not going to fear that person what will you do? how will you feel about that person? you will love them If somebody with authority like that lays their life down even if somebody without authority lays their life down for you, you would love them But somebody who has the power to wipe you off but doesn't do that, lays down their life for you, you're going to love them. He rules by love because now he's got a group of people who will respond to what he says willingly. Nobody obeyed Herod willingly. I'm sure those soldiers didn't enjoy going and doing what they had to do in Bethlehem. Nobody obeyed Herod willingly. They obeyed him out of fear. But for us, we have a king, we have a shepherd king who we can obey out of love. And if we do that, we will reflect his authority to the world. We will show people what good authority looks like. We will show people what a shepherd king, what difference a shepherd king makes in your life. That's what I mean by reflect his authority in our lives. The people around us are going to say, you don't operate the way everybody else operates. And you'll be able. Eventually, there'll be an opportunity to say, "Yeah, because I'm serving somebody different. I'm not. I'm not living out of fear. I'm living because I love the Lord, and I will do what He wants me to do, even if it's hard, even if it's scary, even if it costs me. I love Him because He laid His life down for me. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message. Of, that's the message I get from this chapter. And I'm hoping that we've been able to get rid of some of the tinsel and take the Christmas glasses off." And see what Matthew was really driving at. We have the choice. You and I, each of us needs to make a choice of how we will respond to Jesus. Will we respond by rejecting him and pushing back when he tells us what we should do? Or will we respond by just respecting him and then going home? You know, he's a king, but he's not our king. Yeah, he's he's good. He's a good teacher, but, you know, I can't actually do what he says because I don't have the power to do it. So... You know, we could respect him or we can recognize him for the shepherd king that he is and we can reflect his love to the world around us. And that's what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, The things that you teach us from it are so incredible and and they have the power to change the way we live and and who we are. Would you um, help us to take away this morning something from this chapter that reminds us that you are the shepherd king who laid his life down for us. You didn't come to be remembered as a baby and to inspire us to love our own families. You didn't, come, you didn't send shepherds and you didn't send wise men to give us a reason to dress up at Christmas time or a theme for our Christmas cards. You came to make us make a choice, to push us to make a choice, to not reject you and not just respect you, but to reflect your authority to the world. And I pray that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.